Thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me in the white corner, wearing the black shirt, weighing in at, I have no idea, and and height approximately 5 foot 11, 10, something like that. Lower. <laughs> the contender... What's your what's what should, what should be your boxing name? Captain Kirk Doolin. Oh, I love it. Hello, hello. And I'm your other in the other corner. <laughs> what do you got, Kirk? <laughs> <laughs> At ten foot tall. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Woodian's height. <laughs> I think my I think my boxing name would be Cam Big Wig Wigs. Cam, you know, big like wig wigs versus <laughs> Captain Kirk. These are the greatest <laughs> boxing names I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm deceased. I because that's the worst boxing name. I, I just came up with my own boxing name, and it's the worst boxing name in history. But I for Curlington, you know, all my all my oh, that's social a good handles. Curlington versus Big Wig. Who will win the big night? For years on on um the video gaming. I my name has been Big Wig, like B I G G W I G G, because you know, like a big wig, like yeah. oh, somebody's a big wig. W I G. It's like, like a play on words because my last name is Wigs, but you can't be Big Wig Wigs. It's just that's horrible. That's like horrible. the Wig Party. Rest in peace. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you know, we that we should have workshopped that a little bit more. Um, I just kind of was. I was feeling it. I've, the energy is up tonight. I could feel it. It's palpable. Uh, we're yeah. reviewing a boxing movie, so I had to get into the into the fighting spirit here. Kirk I had to get things started with a little bit of zest, a little bit of I gusto. Yeah, I've been amped since the moment we saw this movie. I feel like every time I see a boxing movie, I am immediately encouraged to get in shape. Immediately encouraged, and uh, with false hope that I could one day be a contender in the ring to fight off anyone absolutely anyone i think what here's the thing boxing always feels like something that you could do right like it feels like you're like okay these guys punch a bag and they get strong and it's like wow that seems pretty easy it's easier than doing you know i don't know a thousand million crunches but the reality is like it's pretty hard i think it's it's really hard actually yeah Um, i mean like those bags are very heavy yeah and so there's only so much that blind, blind rage and self-hatred that's, that can only get you so far, you know? <laughs> and that's the deception. If, if, right it, was, if it was that, I mean, we, we'd be good to go. But you, it takes more than just that. <laughs> Self-loathing. Uh. <laughs> that, only gets you, that only gets you 50% of the way there. You need actual athletic ability and dedication to your craft and things like that, which right. at and least for me, just- that's where I check out. At our stages, the only thing that we can punch is ourselves in a therapy room, and <laughs> that's right. one day maybe we'll be put in your the fa- ring. put your own face on the punching bag, and that makes it <laughs> makes it a little bit <laughs> makes it a little easier. Yeah. Oh man, this took a dark turn, but we are reviewing a boxing movie. We're reviewing Creed three this week. Creed three, um, hard to believe there's already three of these films out there in the world, but there are. And uh, the first one came out in in 2015, followed by the sequel in 2018, and now 2023, we get Creed 3. 
this is Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut, so that is of note. Um, and I'm excited to get into this film, Kirk. We've got a, a lot to talk about, but you talked about boxing movies. I, a, a boxing movie is great. I, I like to think um, that's sort of like the upper echelon of sports films. Like I feel like the premium crop of sports films are boxing films because there, there's so much history there when you think of Raging Bull and Rocky, The Fighter. I mean, there, there's endless films that fall into that category. And there is just something so poetically beautiful about boxy as, boxing as a storytelling medium because of the the built-in symbolism that is there of, you know, like picking yourself up off the mat and, you know, you know, live to throw another punch. There's just a lot of like really good storytelling in there. And I, I think that's probably Kirk. That's probably part of the reason you were feeling so revved up after seeing this movie. You know, just as we were joking, you know, you punch the punching bag to punch yourself. I mean, but it really is like so many times we've seen in this film, in these films from Rocky one to Creed three is that who is he really fighting? When you're in that rink, you're only fighting one person. That's right. Yourself as Rocky teaches Creed and Creed one. I've watched so recently Creed one and Creed two. I, I had watched all of the Rocky films in, in the late 2022. And then I was like, I got to get my hands on Creed one and two before three comes out. And I had all this time. And then finally, I bought the DVD and watched half of it on DVD and then everything came to every streaming service. So, yeah. so <laughs> Dude, thankful. that's just how it be. That is just how it be sometimes, man. I don't know. It's it's cursed. It is. It is. The moment the moment you think I'm gonna dupe the streaming service, they're definitely not gonna allow me to rent this. No, I'm immediately just fooled. I'm immediately fooled. Yeah, if you want something to appear on a streaming service, just buy it and then you'll it'll it'll show up the next day. That's pretty much how that works. But um yeah, so we're reviewing Creed three. We're gonna be talking spoilers. This movie did extremely well at the box office. Hopefully you got a chance to see it. If you haven't, um get yourself into a theater to go check it out. So we're gonna be talking spoilers. Um this is also the third film in in what is now a, a pretty illustrious uh sports franchise just by itself not even including the rocky franchise of which it is actually a part of um so we'll talk about it at the end kind of where these three films where this ranks among the three films i think that'll be a little bit fun after we give scores we'll do a quick uh where would you put this amongst the creed trilogy so that'll be, that'll be a good time but kirk before we get into all that let's um let's start with our review and and let's start as we always do with a brief synopsis of Creed 3. Okay, let's do it. Creed 3, Adonis Creed, son of Apollo Creed, Apollo Creed, the famous first fight against Rocky Balboa. It is his son, as we know, in the Creed series. He has become the champion officially through Creed 2. In Creed 3, he holds the title. He wins it out the gate at the start of this film. And of course, he retires, as he should. Your boy is going strong with, with his wins, with his reputation, and he decides, you know what? I've got my little girl. I've got my wife. She's got her music career. It's her turn. We see a fantastic side of Adonis show up as the father, as the husband, and living life. I mean, aren't we all just racing towards retirement? I know I am. So <laughs> this is what it's, it's so fun to see, a side that we 
we get to so fast, you know, uh, life of an athlete is very quick, especially with a boxer and to see him already getting to enjoy life, enjoy the empire that he's built, enjoy the accomplishments. However, you can never rest so easy when you're a boxer. I mean, how many times did Mike Tyson come out of retirement to fight again? A lot, right? It's basically the same story. We're going to see Adonis bite someone's ear off in Creed 4. I, I can promise it. So what happens in Creed 3 is that a friend of the past shows up at his doorstep and his name is Damien. Doorstep or SUV? You be the judge. And what he wants is a shot at the title because he was robbed of it by being in jail for 18 years, 18 years. And so from this, you know, Michael B. Jordan's weighing his options. He says, I'm the champion, but can I compromise? Can I trust that this person has the right reputation to be given that shot? I was given the shot as a Donna's Creed, as a nobody before I even knew I was a Creed. This is, is a story that we've been waiting for this rivalry of ghosts and skeletons from our pasts, where we are in our present and how do we deal with that conflict in the future? Creed three battles, just this, this deep, deep resonation of family, friends, uh, the line of that and where to step in and where to bow out now playing in theaters. Nice. I like it. All right, Kirk. Yeah, it's um, there's a lot going on here. I think worth noting. I think I mean you definitely alluded to it. There's a, there's a significant time jump that occurs in this movie between the second film and the third film. Um, his daughter, who is an infant in yeah. the first film, is like what? What do you think, Kirk? Uh, seven, at least seven, eight, nine ish range. Um, I don't have kids that old yet, so I'm really bad at approximating ages, but somewhere, somewhere in that range, I would say. Um, so there, yeah, there's a significant time jump. It's kind of, it's like the, uh, (laughs) the lightning McQueen cars scenario where it's like you have this time jump and you, you know, you're, you're sort of told that he's, he's won all these things and done all these great things. And, uh, you know, in Creed, in Creed two, you see him win the heavyweight title at the beginning of the film and then, and then regain his title at the end over Ivan um, Drago. But, you know, he's at, this is his, we, we start the film with his final fight, which feels like a, a pretty significant leap. And it turns out to be a, a pretty big one. So mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah, Kirk, let's, let's get into this movie. We got, you know, the talk of the town is of course, everyone's new favorite actor, Jonathan majors joining this cast, um, a cast that already featured, two extremely accomplished actors in Tessa Thompson and, of course, Michael B. Jordan. Um, it's Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. Let's start with And the Oscar Goes To. Kirk, I got to know, who is your favorite actor in this movie? This was tough. It's like, who do you pick from the Marvel game? Between, <laughs> yeah. between Killmonger, Valkyrie, and, and newly anointed <laughs> Kang, right? Uh, I had to pick Mr. Michael B. Jordan himself as Adonis Creed. This is a character that he's created from scratch, right? He's had, you know, uh, of course, uh, the the wonderful Apollo Creed to draw from, but they're really nothing alike. His, def- his dad died before he was born, never met him, 
never had the chance to, never had the chance to be shaped by him. So he is a man of his own and uh, someone who is really just always going to be a little bit lost trying to make things right and and carve and pave his own way. And what I loved about Michael B. Jordan is that I've never seen him give a bad performance. Not at all. Even in the terrible, terrible, terrible Fantastic Four, uh, what is it, second, third, fourth attempt, I just love how he studies who he wants to be. He knows his full character arcs and he makes such good relationships with everyone around him. Michael B. Jordan is just, you cannot mess with him. You cannot, you cannot just, you cannot take him down. Uh, The hardest thing that Michael B. Jordan had to do in this role was of course, be the hero, be the protagonist more so than he's ever been before um, because he had to hold everything together. Uh, In the first Creed film, he is fighting and climbing his way to the top. So while he is our hero, he is becoming the hero in Creed two. He is still finding his way and identity of, of knowing what that looks like and, and, defining that and in creed three he's defined as it and so it's very cool to see him walk through basically everything but a cape is draped on his shoulders you see him in just absolute stunning fashion uh just like leading man attire and the way that he is uh, looked up to toward everyone in his life as a leader whether he wants it or not and how he takes on that responsibility it's fantastic to see to see michael b jordan just step into this with such finesse and I had to give him the Oscar tonight. Yeah, I like that pick a lot, Kirk, so much so that I'm going to double down and also go with Mr. Michael B. Jordan. And and you hit the nail on the head. I think it's I think it's the character arc and, and his awareness of the arc. I think the difference here with this character, this is definitely his hero moment. This is, you know, probably the last film in the franchise. I don't know, Kirk, we can get into that. It, you never know with these things, but it certainly feels like the right time to end it, especially as all these people's careers are sort of taking off and Michael B. Jordan wants to be the next Martin Scorsese and, and all of these things. Um, it feels like the right time. But what I love about this is that Adonis Creed is not a perfect person in this film. He still has things from his past. He has baggage from his past that's dragging him down, which is present through the first two films. What I like about that is that they don't take that away from Adonis, and and Michael B. Jordan wears it even more so than, I mean, probably as much as he has since the first film, uh, all of that baggage, but it's how his character deals with it, and he's able to show the maturity of his character, and a lot of that stuff's not just in the screenplay. It's in his uh, nonverbals and verbal reactions, his tonality, the way that he approaches people and talks to people. And that is so key because you have to believe in this guy. You have to believe that he's this larger than life, you know, almost like (laughs) anime hero, Goku, or or like a Captain America type of hero, uh, Superman even, uh, because he, he is, he's infallible at this point in his, in his career. But uh, Michael B. Jordan was crafty enough to understand that, um, Adonis is not a perfect person and that's part of the beauty of it where he's at in this stage of his career and what makes him worthy of wearing the all white trunks and, and defeating his ultimate nemesis at the end of this is that he knows how to deal with the things that are going on from his past he has figured it out and that's what this movie was all about and I think that Michael B. Jordan portrayed it really beautifully and, and it was really well done and um I just have to give him major kudos for that. But yeah, the the hero moments, you know, Michael B. Jordan just totally owned it. 
here. You know, you said that w- could there be a Creed Four? I mean, if you remember, there was an audience member in our viewing last night. Cam, that oh, said, oh, I remember. We'll Kurt. see you. <laughs> we'll see you at Creed Four. <laughs> I definitely the- remember. There was a. There were a few outspoken uh, gentlemen in our in our audience last night. That's what happens when you go to the late night showing of the movie. People That's get right. a little bit rambunctious. There was lots of uh, um, crowd participation going on. <laughs> In the audience. There was. Uh, it was almost like being at like a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, like people were <laughs> calling at the screen. It, it was, was so funny. It was funny, but yeah, somebody was like Creed Four. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't see it, but you know, Hollywood is Hollywood. They'll squeeze blood out of a stone. So we'll we're just see get what happens. A Creed uh, TV series on Amazon Prime coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> the spinoff series. Yes. Uh, gotta love it. Uh, Kirk, who's your scene stealer? My scene stealer goes to Mr. Jonathan Majors. Um, this was a role that was just obviously built for him because he is so present right now. And it will be lasting, though. That's the good news, is that it wasn't just a, a flare-up role that would that just fits because he's a hot name. No, Jonathan Majors comes in and he slays just as expected um i don't think that the writing did him enough justice in this his character was good but it wasn't great he he wasn't given the opportunity to be as burdened or as burned by the by how he was that done wrong in a way it's weird right because uh to set the story when we meet adonis in his juvenile detention hall and felicia rashad rest in peace from this movie she's still alive um but when she basically takes adonis in previous to that we finally get to find out what happens is that uh adonis went after absolutely just destroyed this dude that him and jonathan majors were out just going to get a snack he they they recognized this guy this who was a foster care parent who did them dirty who was abusive so he's like i'm going to beat you up we had a great night my buddy won a fight i'm going to beat the mess out of him and as he's fighting there are more people that come into play but his buddy his man his ride or die damian pulls out a gun and that's why the two get arrested um so because of this because of of this we we see the the total the turning and the turning of this storyline Jonathan Majors comes back for his revenge uh to get the title to earn the time back that he should have been the champ it shouldn't have been his little friend that he kind of coached and mentored and thinking that he was better than the two of them and uh, which maybe so but when you let hatred and evil uh cure and cultivate your heart then you know evil will fall and good will rise. Jonathan Majors, we could have seen more out of him. I really don't think it's his fault. I think it was a little bit of lack in the lack in the writing, unfortunately, but I really enjoyed his nuanced performance. Every performance is different. Every performance is so specific. And man, that man is so strong. So, so strong. It's the roids, Kirk. And I, and I mean, the, I mean that, I mean that with respect, it's fair game, you know, like people think that steroids are automatically a bad thing. You have to, I mean, somebody can check me on this. I'm not a health and wellness expert, but you don't get as yoked as Michael or as uh, Jonathan Majors is in this film and probably even Michael B. Jordan without the help of some HGH. Um, yeah. But kudos to them. Also hard work and dedication that, that you can't just... You can't just take an injection and, and move on with your life. It's uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot going on there, but yeah, he's absolutely shredded. 
to oblivion in this film. <laughs> Very believable that he could pummel people to death. I'm sure he actually could. Um, he's my scene stealer as well. So we're just going to stay in lockstep here, Kirk, as, as I'm sure everyone is surprised. Um, what else is there to say about Jonathan Majors? I mean, we just both finished gushing about him in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I think every film that we've reviewed that has had Jonathan Majors in it, he has gotten some award of ours. The dude has a toolbox of, of acting abilities that is seemingly endless. He has so many different um, little quirks and, and, and tricks that he can pull out that just adds a level of authenticity to performances that, that few people um, can tap into. It's kind of like when you think about athletes, you can tell the difference in athletes that are just like, absolutely gifted on, on some sort of like genetic biological uh, divine level. And then there's also those who, who really uh, work at their craft and have to, to get to that level. Jonathan majors is like both. (laughs) He has this amazing ability, all these tools you can't teach, but then he just like, he takes performances where you could go, okay, this is a pretty like one dimensional, not very layered character and he adds layers and he builds dimension and he builds a character. And that's kind of what was going on here. I don't think, um, I think this character could have felt pretty one note and actually pretty corny. They, they run a really close line here. In these, in these Creed movies to becoming cheesy and melodramatic. And I, I think they have always sort of skirted around it just a bit because part of it is it's the genre uh, sports films kind of have a bit of that anyway. But the other part of it is that um, this is part of the Rocky franchise. And and so it's 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 going to have a little bit of that cheesiness, corniness, but they have to ground it just enough. And this movie sort of, all, all three of these Creed movies have sort of like wavered on that line at times. But I think that this, this performance and this character in particular, Damien, could have been just insanely cheesy and cringe if it was not in the hands of somebody as capable as Jonathan majors. And instead we get what I think is a, just an excellent villain. And I mean, just an excellent villain and someone who, you know, fills the void that Sylvester Stallone leaves in this, in this franchise, because in the first Creed film, I was so impressed with Sylvester Stallone and I felt that he was still needed in the second film um, to help give it, to fill it out a little bit and make it feel right. So I was a little bit worried headed into this one that we didn't have that piece um, built in here. But when you have a villain that is this good and who, even though their um, intentions and motive isn't that layered, you kind of know everything that's built into it, he still makes it feel so real and he still makes you feel empathy for him, even when he's at his worst. Um, that's just really good craftsmanship on craftsmanship on the part of Jonathan Majors. So I just have to give him major kudos. I thought, um, I love this character. I thought he was a lot of fun. I thought he was scary at times. I thought he, he was supposed to be a total wild card. And you all, you, you, you like, if you've lived long enough, you know, one of these types of people who's just a wild card. Like you don't trust them. You, you would hang out with them, but you don't, you never know what's going to happen when they're around. And he just emitted that chaotic energy throughout this entire movie. And I love that because it just felt so real. So Jonathan majors as Damien had to be my scene stealer. The uppercut. He took, took, 
two of them from us. He's like, I got this. Ka-ka. That's right. Uh, all right, let's move on to the film itself, Kirk. Let's talk about the show stopper, the thing that um, blew you away about Creed Three. You know, when we, before I even begin, um, just because this has popped into my head, whenever we do Showstopper, I would love to have like a really like generic ripped off version of, um, what's that song with the, with like the pussycat dolls, like Showstopper and the da da da. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I want that like Showstopper, show, show showstopper, but I want it to like our voices in like really like dissonant harmonies. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Okay, cool. That's we can, just a we show can work on that. We can work for on the that. fans. Um, so stay tuned for for that coming one day. Um, my showstopper is a bit confusing, but I hope I can explain it well. It's kind of like this uh, swan kick. Uh, sw- swan. <laughs> this is what I wrote down: swan kick, super object objective concept and theming. Uh, so swan kick, thinking like Karate Kid, right? Look at my look at my foot that it's up in the air, and I'm going to immediately jump and kick you with the other foot. Um, think of it as in uh, something very digestible, like. Uh, the the main concept of a film how how can you make it so direct what's the super objective of this film that the the biggest message that we can get to the audience without them having to think about it without being so overt or if it is very clear is it too cheesy and can we effectively do that think about the dark knight has done this so well uh the first one fear the second one chaos the third one pain so what Creed does, what the series does, and hopefully, as Cam mentioned, it should be the last of the trilogy. It doesn't really need to keep going. Uh, it was wrapped with a bow. Very well done. In Creed 1, the swan kick idea that I'm talking about is in Creed 1, it's about accepting yourself, but it's disguised as forgiveness. In Creed 2, it's really about believing in yourself, but it's disguised in revenge with Drago and Drago's son. And in Creed 3, this one, it's actually about losing and it's disguised in winning. So what we have here is that uh, Adonis has won everything. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. He's got the championships. He's got the, 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 the retirement, right? He's got money. He's got fame. Anything he wants, he can have. He has a direct line to call the shots of who's going to be at the title fights and to line those up. He's got everything he wants, um, but he's still, he's still lost. He's lost so much. He's lost his father. He loses his mother in this. His wife is losing his hearing. His daughter's losing, has lost her hearing. He had to give up so much to get where he's at. He had to lose a friend and to intentionally kind of forget about him in order to know that the path that he was on was righteous for himself, was good for him. He didn't bring that gun into the fight, right? He just, he, he made a wrong choice. But he brought the gun into a fight, which elevated the circumstances. But he knew he had to separate himself from that path that back then. So he lost a friend. He lo- he lost so much. He's lost fights. He lost his first big title fight. But he's won in doing so. Even though Damien wants to win, 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 because he's lost, 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 lost. It's about accepting the loses in our life to really, truly understand and be shaped 
uh, by that and guided by that. That's kind of like our best moral compass is what we lose in life. And I love that that is really the more powerful message here because you see this right at the front of this movie, the, the big house, the flashy cars, the big parties, and then he, you just see Adonis's world start to crumble because he's trying to hold on to all of those things out of fear, out of regret. And then he realizes it, it doesn't matter because I've, al- uh, I've already lost. When he feels everything slipping away, when he starts to scream and kind of yell about the situation to his wife and his daughter is there and, and she sees the rage in his eyes. Uh, so he doesn't, want to lose more and so this this swan kick super objective the losing disguised as winning is so powerful because in the first and second one we had these very same things you know look at my right look at my right fist but i'm gonna hit you with my left i love that that was the goal in writing this script and it was very apparent in the direction of this script kudos to michael b jordan on his directorial debut on this to be able to let us look over here but really the whole time showing us at a slow burn exactly what the whole story was all about so the whole theming of this story of this film of the shape of it of the look of it very well done and bravo to all the creative team dang son you were dropping some some knowledge bombs on us there. I, I felt like I was like the galaxy brain meme. I was like, my, my brain is expanding. I'm seeing this movie in a whole different light. I loved it. Very good. <laughs> Thanks. Well done. Well done. All right. I am going to go with my showstopper and it's going to sound really simple um, because it is, it's the story, the story of the movie. And, and I'm, I'm separating this from the screenplay. Okay. So th- think about this, like the story, a lot of times when you see a movie uh, credits, you'll see, story by and then screenplay so the screenplay is what describes how the story is portrayed um what the dialogue is etc the story uh writing the story is 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 separate from that process and what i like about this story both as a written story and also as visual storytelling is that it's tight as all get out there's no filler um which is just I was blown away by that because we're talking about somebody who this is their directorial debut. And a lot of times what you will see, as I've noticed over the years with a directorial debut is uh, directors um, are so eager to put their visual imprint on a film, to put their eye on it, their perspective and make sure something is seen. But what I like is that the, the, the written story is, is absolutely tight. I mean, you go through this thing and if you were sitting there with a rubric in the theater going, okay, you know, you're, you're taking note of each of the scenes as they kind of go chronologically, and you're thinking, okay, where, where does this get closed off? As you get towards the end of the movie, you're like, boom, they close that, they close that, they close that. It all matters. But what's great, even beyond that, is on the visual side, Michael B. Jordan as a director is not adding filler shots either. He's not adding things, um, visual components just because he thinks they look cool or just because he had an idea, his visual components, some of which were actually um, really bold, I thought, in this movie, particularly in the final fight with Damien, there were, there were some risks here, which I, which I was like, ooh, come on. Like, he was, Michael B. Jordan was absolutely in his bag as a director, um, which I liked, but, uh, you know, even, even, the, even the visual components, he wasn't adding things just to add them, just to be like, oh, this is cool, I like the way this looks, which is something that you will see, I think, a lot of times from rookie 
directors, this felt like a seasoned director to me. It honestly did. Um, somebody who has an a- actual, you know, a real knack for it. And, and that is, I feel like that's pretty high praise because even, you know, most of the best, most best directors ever um, takes a while before they, they really knock one out of the park. And I feel like from a directing standpoint, this thing uh, as a total composition was really well built. The story all felt really well. Um, the pacing was was smooth. It was good. Um, you, you know, you weren't checking your watch. You felt engaged. There was just there was a lot of things to really like here. But what really ties it all together is the story, and that thing was just airtight. I, I I really couldn't find a ton of filler, and there was still lots of great character development built into there. So I have to give the team credit for that. I know Ryan Coogler and his brother were both um, involved in the story. The actual screenplay team was Keenan Coogler and an, another writer whose name is escaping me, both of which are um, fairly green on the, on the screenplay front. So um, Zach Balin is his name. And so I, I might talk about that a little bit more later. But from a story perspective, I thought this thing was, was really well done. So true. It's so true. It, it really was. Uh, I love that. There, there really weren't any any shots that felt filler. They and when you saw them on screen, it didn't look like uh, like when I film stuff in my <laughs> in my living room. <laughs> like oh, I, like I get so excited, I get my phone. I'm like, I'm gonna film the kids opening their birthday presents. It's gonna look like a cinematic event. Right? And it's not. It absolutely <laughs> is not. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I felt like, especially in that final fight. Whenever, um, you know, they, they do the first couple of rounds kind of like a normal sports movie boxing fight. And then he goes kind of abstract on us and, and gets very, like, thematic and symbolic. And he puts, like, jail uh, jail cells in there. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of different, like, lighting and composition and, and visual effects and stuff going on. It was really, um, I was like, uh-oh, this could go one of two ways. You know, yep. this could be this could kind of kill the moment or it could really elevate it. And I felt like it elevated it. Um, yeah. I thought it was bold and I thought it was risky and I liked it. It's true. It's good it stuff. Good. All right, Kirk, let's talk about the other side. What, what is it about Creed three that you didn't love things that irked you a little bit? Yeah. I got some super specific moments about this. Number one, there was a song at one point that actually had the word Wakanda in it. And it was so clear That's right. that it sucked me straight out of this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. You cannot have a, a, a song with the word Wakanda in a film that is realistic that Michael B. Jordan is in. You can't. Three of our main characters are straight out of the MCU. I don't care what year you watch this in. If you watch this 20 years from now, you're going to be like, wait a second, that's Killmonger right there. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't do it. I really had a problem with with that. Um, this movie, even though the cine- the cinematography is very well done, the shots, the the storyboarding, I'm sure, was, was careful and it paid off. There's an editing problem um, in the sense that there's a lot of open space here. Uh, what I, I've, I've talked about this before is that when you have like empty space without meaning, then it becomes dry, uh, loses its momentum. And at times we lose momentum, even though we're having good, strong conversations and in very uh, forward moving conversations for the story and for characters, it just it didn't move in the way that it should. It didn't have a 
it didn't have a uh, a clear direction on the editing, even though the direction of the movie was clear. So those and it's that can be confusing because those are two totally different elements. Michael B. Jordan puts everything together. He help he sets up the shots. He has a cinematographer that that he works with to say, no, this is the this is the mood I want to create. This is what I want to see. This is what I want the audience to see. And the editor helps mend that story from point A to point B. And the the editing just really it just didn't flow. It didn't flow. It was just kind of, all right, here we go. It was snapshots, which can be fine for certain stories, but this one has to flow just like the first two did. Um, we should have also had more time um, about the deceptive uh, jail member that Jonathan Majors was affiliated with. Uh, it was kind of like a reveal. It was kind of expected, but we should have had more of a more poignant moment about that. It was just like, boom, yep, I did it. Uh, this is how I became, uh, this is how I, I basically conned my way into getting into the title shot. I messed up uh, Drago's hand and here I am. So there could, there should have been more to that, more of a, a bigger, an even bigger moment than what we saw. And then I, I go back and forth on this one. This is my final one, <laughs> but Michael B. Jordan, so good in the film, Great as a director, but you cannot succeed at both. Very rare circumstances allow that to happen. Very rare films allow that to happen. And I think that we could have had either a more superior film or a more superior Adonis performance had he chosen which one to do or co-directed or had less of a role, but how can you do that in Creed? Um, so what I'm, what I'm saying is that he looks very good in every shot that he's set up, but as he's performing his piece, you can see it in his movement and in his acting that he is trying to stay where he needs to stay, trying to move where he needs to move because even though he's the actor in the scene on camera, his mind is also behind that camera. Like, oh, I, I'm directing all these other people, so I better be sure that I can direct myself and be where I need to be, even though I'm the only person who can see it and approve it and move forward with the day. So even though it was a good performance, it's one of his more rigid performances, I think because he was mo more focused on how he looks and not from a self-esteem issue, but literally how he looks in the dressing of the camera in the scene. Where is he? What is he doing? Who is he standing close to? Is he far enough away? Those sorts of specific things. Very specific. Um, it took me out of his performance a little bit, which was a little upsetting because he's given some real heart to this character. And that is my director's shoes. Nice. Good notes. Um, my director's shoes, I think we have we have the pitfall that we've kind of seen in every Creed movie, in my opinion, which is the adherence to sort of the genre cliches that, that sort of make this film, the films, you know, predictable, at times cheesy, at times, um, you know, just not engaging, just because of the, the way that these films move. You kind of have an... Uh, understanding of where things are going and why and um, all of those things. I think the the dialogue at times fell into the cornball cheesy camp at times. And that's been that's been the case with every single one of these movies, in my opinion. There's always an element of that in here. And like I said earlier, part of that comes with the territory when you're making a sports movie. There's going to be a couple things that just come off a little bit 
um, cheesy. Uh, but this one, you know, it, it definitely had that. I think for me it was like the the Stephen A. Smith first take section they did where Jonathan Majors is calling into the show live. Um, it started out as a good scene whenever, and I was impressed with Stephen A. Smith kind of, you know, I thought it was just going to be Adonis announcing his uh, unretirement, and I was like, okay, this is actually, this is legit. I've seen this kind of thing happen on First Take or on ESPN. I literally have seen people come onto the show for their own reasons, for PR reasons. But then when you got Jonathan Major's character calling in and they're kind of drawn back and forth, it just got pretty cheesy pretty fast. Um, I didn't think that scene worked for them. And there, there are a couple moments like that um, and a couple moments of dialogue between particularly between Adonis and Damien that felt a little bit forced. So, you know, that is what it is. I think the other part, and this is a weird one. This is really weird. Uh, the product placement in this movie, like what is going on here? I know that you got to pay the bills, but like how much did Hennessy pay you for this movie? It was, it was distracting. It was all over the place. And um, you're making a boxing movie. So, when you're seeing a, you know, a press junket that's set up that has, you know, the name of the network, you know, DAZN, and as, as well as uh, a, a title sponsor, that you're not batting an eye on that. When they show the overhead aerial shot of the ring, and it's got, you know, again, DAZN, and then it's got Hennessy, like, assets there. I'm using sports business talk now, but when it's got the, the tags there that you can see, you're not batting an eye on that. But whenever they go into Michael B. Jordan's house and he's pouring a drink for Jonathan Majors and he flashes the label of the bottle real quick. It's like, okay, what, like, and that happens a couple different times throughout the film where it's like, wow, did Hennessy finance this entire film? It just, it, it's enough to really make you, it, it's laughable. It honestly is. And it takes you, takes you out of the movie, which is not what you want. So that is tough, but you know, those, those are the two big things. There, there's a couple couple cheesy moments, a little bit of funky dialogue, which I think is part of the, you know, these screenwriters are a little bit green. So sometimes, um, particularly on the scene transitions, like if somebody's on the phone as they're kind of trying to intro the next point of conflict, you get a little bit of cheese dialogue before the actors get into it. And I think that that's because once they got into the meat and bones of the scenes, the actors were probably writing on the fly, helping the writers kind of like work the scene out in real time. But a lot of times those scene transitions were rough. Um, and, and that's just sort of is what it is. But those are my two big critiques. The product placement was out of control. That, that, that was like, to me, that was inexcusable. Like I know that we've, we've seen, we've certainly seen that in films, but it should not be that noticeable. And it was like way in your face in this movie. I so desperately wish that I had a random bottle of Hennessy sitting yeah. near my desk that pops, I could have just pops held up. Henny. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey, you got any extra money, Hennessy? We can, you can, <laughs> you can sponsor this podcast. We should, we should randomly do that. <laughs> just like say, like, we don't have any sponsors. Just a reminder, we're like 260 episodes in. Like, <laughs> we need some sponsors. We should just like <laughs> s- pick one every week and just put it into all of our content and just yes. be like. Holding it up, hoping that they'll see it. Seriously, seriously. I mean, Hennessy, you've clearly got a lot of money to swing around. I, I, we're, we're happy. I don't think, I don't know if we're exactly what you would go for as brand ambassadors, but you know, we can. Irish. We'll uh, do what it takes. We'll do what it takes. All right. (laughs) All right, Kirk. Let's get into final thoughts and scores 
on Creed 3, and then we'll talk about where it ranks among the Creed films after that. Sure. Uh, one thing that I that we didn't talk about is that how beautiful the story is about uh, one of the losses that, that Creed suffers is the loss, uh, uh, the, not directly, but indirectly, and then indirectly at first, and then it becomes direct because it's his daughter, but uh, indirectly because of his first girlfriend in Creed 1. She already has a uh, hearing loss that's, that is beginning. In Creed 2, we see that it plummets a little bit more, and in Creed 3, she has moved away from performance, and she's songwriting and producing at this point, and of course, their daughter is a fully uh, deaf child, and so the, this loss of that and this arc and how how it has shaped him and, and his family is, is pretty incredible and, and shapes his life as at one point um, when Jonathan majors comes to the house, you know, they've got of course the, the doorbell with the, with the flashing lights throughout the house to indicate that there is someone at the door uh, as any ADA house would work in that way. So I just love, I love how it wasn't just uh, just a, a piece that they wanted to throw in just to throw in. It really was to show that here's Tessa Thompson her love is music and her Achilles heel is that she's losing uh, her hearing gradually. And let's, let's have a baby it, though a surprise. Um, let's have this child. And then the, the one, two punch, right. Uh, all of a sudden it's like, Oh my goodness, I didn't think about this. Like we were having a child, but what if the child can't hear? Uh, doesn't matter. We're going to love this kid no matter what. Who cares, right? And so there's just the beauty of that uh, in that life is not perfect. And I can't predict no matter how much I train, no matter how much I fight, I will fall down. And to experience something like this, it's it's really great. So I just wanted to highlight that. Um, on top of everything else that we've discussed with this film, it sits very high in the whole Rocky Creed series. It's not the best but it's not the worst. And it's not even the middle. It's top tier. I I fully have a problem with how Michael B. wasn't able to fully give us everything that he could have in this film uh, out of his character. He couldn't pour everything into it because he had a big job and everything else. And I think that the editing really held back, uh, held me back on this as well. Still a high score, still a great movie, still something to watch over and over again. Creed Theory today gets a 7.8 out of 10 kernels for me. Nice. Good healthy score there. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else has not been said. I really like the score in this movie. I thought the score was was excellent. They had to sort of build in a villain component um, that was, you know, had to make the audience kind of ask themselves some questions about Damien, you know, to kind of feel uneasy about him, but not to make any firm decisions about where they're at with him. I thought that was musically very sophisticated and, and well done. And I, I thought the thing that really elevated this movie was having a villain and having a storyline that really separated this film from the Rocky series. You know, that, that was strong because I think Creed two is actually my least favorite of the Creed movies. And that's because the whole um, Drago as well done as it was, it just feels like, okay, so now we're just going to rehash everything that's happening in Rocky. Like, uh, this is irrelevant. You know, I don't really care about this. Um, so this was nice. I mean, it, it was nice to feel this franchise really come into its own, probably right as it's ending. I think that that would be appropriate. But um, there's just a lot to like here, uh, uh, to be honest. I had a really great time with this movie. I felt engaged the majority of the time. I, I liked the characters, the characterizations. I thought our cast was really good. Um, throughout 
I, I just think that there's a lot of upside to this film. And I just, as I said earlier, really like the way that Michael B. Jordan left his mark here on this movie as a director. I think this is a really strong turnout for him and uh, a really great entry into the franchise. So I'm giving it an 8.6 out of 10 kernels. And uh, that's where I'll leave it until we discuss now, Kirk, uh, final rankings on the Creed franchise, Creed 1, Creed 2, Creed 3. Where do they land for you? I'm going to go Creed 1, Creed 3, Creed 2, in that order. Okay, I my perspective is that this is the best one. I think Ooh. I think Creed 3 is the top followed by Creed 1 followed by Creed 2. I think okay. um I I'm not surprised we both agree on Creed 2. I don't think Creed 2 is a bad movie, but I think it's it is the very typical second film in the trilogy syndrome. You know, it's 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 a really hard thing to do. It's really hard to make a middle movie in a trilogy. And there's only so many movies that manage to define themselves outside of that. We've seen it. And that's why those movies always stand out. Things like the dark Knight, Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Um, uh, I think Spider-Man two, you know, there there's every once in a while you get a second film in a trilogy that just really delivers or in a series, uh, but it's rare. It's really hard to make that middle movie in a sandwich uh, of, of right. three films. The Godfather Part Two. Some people think that's the goat, you know. Disagree. I also disagree. <laughs> but you know, sometimes people feel that way. I think it's hard for me with Creed One. I think just because I don't know. There, there's something about that movie. It's it's a really well done movie. I just think that sometimes the balance between the Rocky Balboa aspect and the Apollo Creed aspect causes too much friction for that movie to reach its full potential. But it, it's honestly like, it depends on the day and um, yeah. it, it, I could probably go either way for me. It's Sylvester Stallone's best performance in his entire career. Oh, his by far next best performance in the incredible film. And I don't care who you are. He's very good in this. It's a movie called, uh, daylight in which he is some sort of first responder and there's a tunnel in New York that's getting flooded. It's so, it's so good. It's so exhilarating. And, and then followed by Rocky and I will stand by that till the day I die. Yeah. Um, I think this performance is so good in, in Creed one. That's why that one takes Dude, it for he me. He carries that movie. He carries yeah. that movie. He like that movie could be very forgettable without him. And it, he bridges the gap so well. I mean, it mm -hmm. would just, and that's no offense to Ryan Coogler or, or Michael B. Jordan. I think it's, if, if anything, it's a credit to the way that they were able to pull that out of each other and create these really meaningful relationships. Um, but this is a good franchise. This is a good sports franchise of itself, excluding the Rocky portion of it. Obviously, that's a portion of it you, you sort of have to be at least vaguely familiar with in order to fully understand what's happening in this franchise. But even in and of itself, it is um, really solid all around, I think. It is. Even the second one, w with its faults, it's not a movie that can that should just be cast aside. There's no, definitely no. plenty of those movies. Like, I would say in the original Rocky series, are oh, there seven, yes. are there eight? I mean, in one of them, 
there's a giant robot that is like fully automated uh that looks like you know the lost the og lost in space robot danger will robinson um moving about the mansion before he leaves it and like cooking breakfast and taking care of the kids and doing laundry like it's absolutely absurd and that that would be the one that that drives me crazy but in but creed 2 it's really great yeah yeah so we'll have to pose this question on social kirk uh this week and just kind of say where do you where do you think how would you tier the creed movies because i'm interested to hear it I, i think um based on what i've seen on the timeline fan reaction to creed 3 has been really good i think this is a movie that is designed this is an ultimate feel good. I mean, it, it has a finale that is really exhilarating, gets you out of your seat, gets you excited. So it sort of caters to positive reactions, but you know, I'll be interested to see where people fall on, on this trilogy. I think I, I, I think for a legacy sequel trilogy for it to have done as well as it has, I think that's a, a pretty massive accomplishment. I think it's a potential blueprint for, for others that are trying to do the same scream and, and, and the yeah. like. So, and you know, when they do Creed four, I mean, if, if they need <laughs> an Irishman to fight, I'm here for it. I mean, I can, I can spend, you know, eight months getting paid yeah. by a studio to get in shape and take steroids. Some HGH, yeah. I mean, we, yeah. whatever it takes, whatever it takes. They, is that injected into your butt or I think it can be. I think it probably it probably feels better to have it injected into your butt than anywhere else. There's a lot of cushion there. Um, Left cheek, right cheek. What what do you recommend? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, whatever suits, whatever tickles your fancy, Kirk. Uh, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that process, but oh, okay, maybe maybe you will be if the studios uh, hear this episode. We'll see. Um, but anyway, and on that extremely bizarre <laughs> bizarre note, um, we'll end this episode. But you're probably wondering, you're like, hey guys, it's Oscar week. What's going on? Um, we got Oscar coverage coming. Don't even worry about it. We've been uh, compiling our lists, making our picks. Uh, we have thoughts, and that episode will be coming to you either Friday or Saturday. Just stay tuned on the socials for when that will drop. We're going to try to get it to you just before Oscar Sunday so that you have it as something you can listen to right before the show, um, before the big night. It is Hollywood's biggest night. We are going to be all over it on all of our social media Um, We'll be sure to do a post Oscars episode as well with some reactions to the awards and we'll have all of that coming for you in the next couple of days here. But until that time, we're going to leave you with the lovely sounds of the band rhetoric who created our original music, find them anywhere you listen to your music and a special thank you to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs. Thank you guys so much. As always, we will see you next time. Talk to you then.